Welcome to Megan Meets, a podcast hosted by me, Megan Scully, in association with Salt Float and Recovery Suites. Ireland's first dedicated natural health spa, offering flotation therapy, infrared and traditional Finnish saunas, contrast therapy, and no contact compression massage and more. Salt is located two minutes from the M6 motorway on the outskirts of Galway City, and they stock a wide range of Irish health and wellness products. Take time to look after you this year at Salt, experts in holistic wellness. Keep listening for special offer at the end. In the first series, I'll be exploring health and wellness and each guest will be chatting to me about the work they do. You'll learn more about alternative healing methods, health, happiness, and so much more. Get involved by using the hashtag MeganMeets. Hit subscribe and share the love with friends and family or those who you feel could benefit from the health and wellness topics and methods discussed. And welcome back to Megan Meets. And here is a bit of a different episode from the previous seven because this is my first solo podcast. I was toying with this idea. I initially was only going to have six episodes and then I was advised that I should continue on. And I have more guests lined up, but then I just the other day was thinking about this and I was like, maybe I'll do a solo podcast. And I was kind of thinking maybe I'll do it at the end. And then just this past few days, I don't know what it is, but my gut, my mind, everything was just saying, just do it, just do it, sit down and get recording. I'm currently sitting in my room in Limerick and I have the hot water bottle filled. I'm a bit of a comfort uh, creature. Um, We've had so many storms and the wind and the rain and everything. It's just been so cold. So I want to be cozy for this one. And I have lavender burning in my incense burner here beside me. I love creating a special pace because I guess for me, when it comes to health and wellness, especially wellness, creating a space where I feel safe, where I feel comfortable, where I feel cozy, where I feel warm is just been so important to me. And that's what this room in Limerick provides to me. It provides that safety and I guess that kind of just place where I can zone out and just be alone, whether I meditate, whether I write, whether I just do absolutely nothing. Um, so for this podcast and pretty much like all the talks I give because I give quite a lot of talks to schools, to offices, I get invited to events to speak about and share my own story. So I obviously want to give a bit of a warning. Um, some of you will absolutely relate to the stuff that I'm going to say. It's going to resonate with some of you. It's going to stir up maybe emotions that you didn't realise were buried deep or else you're at a stage in your life where you just need to hear my story because hopefully I can give you some hope. And if you're driving and you're someone who maybe is thinking you're not really in a great headspace right now or maybe in a great place or you're you're struggling, um, maybe hit pause and leave this for another time. I'm not saying you need to be sitting down or lying in a bed with a hot water bottle for this one, but I don't know. I just think maybe um, see how you're feeling. You can always hit pause and come back to this. As well with all my talks that I give, I always um, kind of invite in, I guess, my guardian angels, higher power, um, guiding light, I guess we all have different kind of names for, for the those people we call in. But I always just kind of call them in and say, right, just help me tell my story from my heart. Um, 
there's no notes there's no pen and paper there's no slideshow it's just me talking and uh, it's funny because my work it's all about writing down notes it's all about researching it's all about planning it's all about preparation um, but for this I've decided I'm just going to speak from the heart I also want to add that I am not a counsellor I am not trained in psychology um, I'm just a girl who's going to tell her story and I guess that story starts in Dublin. So I was born in 1989 in the Coombe Hospital. And there my life began in Dublin with my mother Pauline, my father Maxie and my brother Marcus. And our family home was in Dundrum. Famous now for shopping centre, but back then very much so suburban Dublin. And all country people who'd gotten married and moved to Dublin, because I guess possibly at that time, Dublin seemed like the only place for opportunity and kind of that city life, I guess. Um, so that's what my parents did. Two Galway people moved up and began their, their married life and had my brother Marcus before me. He was born on Valentine's Day, 1987, also in the Coombe. And then I came along, as I mentioned, on the 25th of October in 1989. I remember our house in Dublin so well because we actually have gone back to visit because my mum kept up friends with everyone that lived around us. And... Um, I've got some really vivid memories from Dublin and it's still a special place I guess for all of us um, because it's the only house that the four of us were a family unit. Um, so I had started school in St. Tractas in Dublin. Um, I used to go to Marley Park the weekends. Marley Park now famous for music festivals but back then we used to go there to feed the ducks and I remember like I'd started ballet and swimming and you know, Marcus has started a load of sports too because I guess being in Dublin, there was plenty full of hobbies and everything. And I'd consider us a sporty family. My dad represented Ireland in show jumping and also transplant games, won loads of medals for Ireland. So running and, and uh, horses were definitely very much so part of our our childhood. Um, Not so much Marcus because he had a really bad accident off a horse when he was six and that that was it then he kind of he didn't want to go or didn't really like horses then had obviously had a natural fear and um yeah that was we were in school and kind of I suppose I can start I can remember from back then um but my parents struggled and things happened and the marriage ended um so probably from when I was three and a half to four and a half five the breakup happened or the breakdown of the marriage and one of my most vivid memories living in Dublin was the day my dad moved out. Uh, he had a maroon and white horse box. Our colours when it came to horses were maroon and white because of Galway. And I remember that day helping my dad move out all of his belongings thinking, I am so useful. I am daddy's girl. He's going to be so proud of me because I can help him. And I remember at the same time my mother standing inside in the house crying because I guess it's it spelled the end of a marriage. It, this was it now. It was all over. Um... And we stayed in Dublin for another while, but mum always said that she, you know, she was 29 when she was separated with Marcus and I, and we were still relatively young. And she said then she didn't want to, not that she didn't want to bring us up to Dublin, but she wanted to bring us closer to home and her family, because all her family are, are Galway. And mum's one of 11 and she's in, in the older of the group. So a lot of her siblings were all still at home, but she didn't want to move home home. And she was on to a friend and this friend said, why don't you come to Spiddle? Spiddle being in Connemara and being the Gwaeltocht. Now, we came down in 95. So, effectively, we were three blow-ins and we didn't speak Irish. 
and this was a Gaeltacht, fully Irish speaking area. So I remember starting school in um, Skullwira and of course I was speaking English the whole time because I didn't even understand Irish. I remember then teachers saying to me like, Gaeltacht Megan and I was like, okay, I just didn't know. And I don't distinctively remember learning Irish but I feel like it just happened. It was like, I guess because we were so young and we were immersed in it, it we just over time I guess children being like sponges and that was the kind of school where was the girls school in Spiddle and at the time Skullania was a boys school so Marcus went there and so began our life in Spiddle and we were renting accommodation because um, I suppose we weren't really sure where we were going to settle so we had a house in Spiddle for a couple of months I remember it was a holiday home but then obviously had to go either had to go back or the owners were coming back or something and then we ended up getting uh, a chalet in Knock Ferry, which is the other side of my Cullen. But mum wanted to keep us in the same school because she wanted to go back to Spiddle. So we spent that, I think it was the summer of 95 we spent down there. And if uh, those of you that are of, of my age and older will know that the summer of 95 was a heat wave and it was like broke records at the time. So living in a beach area or like I suppose close to a beach area was was, was pretty fun. And then we moved back to Spiddle and we got a chalet in Bolliliam and then we lived there for a couple more years and it was, for me, I, I adored it out there. I think I just was always made for country life and kind of rural Ireland and to get to school from home, we would go past the beach there in Spiddle, the main beach as you come in and um, some days we just would go for swims and we just jump in the water and uh, there were swimming lessons as well. We used to all go to Leisureland once a week from school so we knew how to swim so it was just brilliant it was lovely um, but then after about five years of Spiddle Mam built a house in Ardrahan which is South Galway which is where she's originally from so next door to Granny so it was great then because we could be beside Sadie all the time and Mum then went back to college because she never actually went to college after because she pretty much met Dad after school and got married and moved to Dublin so then um, she wanted to go back and get an education so she went back as a mature student and we then would have spent I would have spent so much time with Granny. Marcus actually ended up going to Garbley, which is a boarding school in Ballinasloe. That was always the plan for him. And then I started in Lava National School. So at this stage, this was my third national school. And so I'd gone from Dublin to Spiddle, which was the Gaeltacht, and then now to Ardrahan, which was um, English-speaking national school. And uh, I remember the principal straight away was like, he knew that I come from Spiddle, so he knew about my Irish. And he'd always get me to read out Irish passages and... It was lovely. I loved it there. And it actually went from, into a mixed school then. And suddenly it was like GAA parish, camogie and hurling. And it's the first time I started playing camogie. It was just to make friends. And that's one thing I think I, I found out over my life, which has probably helped me in my career, is that I would always be the new girl. So I'd always have to try and make friends. And I always wanted to hang out with people. So if I was with dad for the summer or if I was new, moving somewhere at mum, once I'd see a group of people my age out playing, I'd go over and be like, hi, can I play with you here? Hi, can I hang out? And that's how most of my friendships began. Um, so I think that does help me in, in the sense that with my job working in media and as a journalist and as, as a presenter, I have to interview people quite a lot and majority of them are people I've never met before. So I do all my research and then I interview them and I really think that has helped me become the interviewer that I am today because I can talk to people I don't know. So I guess in some ways, while separation is always hard, I do often reflect on the positives of it. My dad stayed living up around East Coast. He was between Dublin and Kildare because he was back into the horses after the marriage and um, I just associate Kildare with horses. In my head, Kildare is horsey county. And he would have spent a couple of years up there. We would have spent holidays up with him and 
I loved going up there because it, again it was horses and it was on a farm and it was again probably that rural country girl within me Marcus found it a bit more difficult he didn't like it as much and um, there were some difficult people brought into our lives um, through my father and I guess as children I was so young I didn't really understand what was going on it's only when I got older I realised that it wasn't right um, being put into a place where someone maybe wasn't very nice to us and wasn't very caring to us and to be honest didn't want to look after us and didn't want us there um, but we want to spend time with dad and mum wanted to make sure that we spend time with dad so that's what we did and the reason I talk about separation is because I think to be honest when it first happened I didn't really understand what was going on probably because I was quite young and I know what often people say oh children are so young children don't understand it's fine children bounce back which is great because at the time we probably do but I think it's because we maybe bury the pain and the confusion and I guess maybe the knowledge of what really happened and for me it didn't come out for much later years um, my dad moved back to Galway as I said when I was younger when I, we moved to Ardrahan dad came back soon enough and had a house not too far away in like a town uh, a couple of miles away and uh, I spent an awful lot of time with him then because we got into horse riding and you know he used to bring me out horse riding with him and bring me to shows and, and I loved it I loved being around the horses it was just it was and it was our thing as well it was the one thing that dad and I had because Marcus didn't I said he had that bad fall and he was younger so he wasn't really into horse riding so I got to go out with dad all the time and I just adored it um, but it's funny like dad was kind of a stranger to me I think when I was a child because I wouldn't have spent as much time with him I always say to people I fe feel like I had two very different childhoods and two very different upbringings my mother very much so sheltered us and wrapped us in cotton wool and didn't want to expose us to the big bad world whereas my dad was the complete opposite like dad was like this is what real life is like mum did everything for us she did all our cooking did all our cleaning you know absolutely everything dad made us do everything so I reckon it was good to see both sides of it and to get an idea of, of, of the harsh realities of life but also to kind of have that safety net as well with mum so as I said I do try draw on the positives of it and it was only kind of in later years that I realised that my parents weren't actually a good I guess husband and wife they weren't right for each other and if they did stay together it probably would have caused more damage to all of us all four of us as a unit but they were better apart and I think the realisation of that was probably in some ways a bit of relief for me but also a kind of a uh, an appreciation for my parents that they did that uh, not just for them but for us too because I often think I would have grown up in a very healthy unhealthy home had they stayed together where it was better for me to see them apart because they actually became good friends after a while so seeing a friendly relationship between two people who didn't have that kind of I suppose the, the marriage was over and they you know there was no hate or anger there anymore and they were just really good friends and it was really lovely to see and sometimes people used to come to our house and be like your parents done really well even though they don't live together and they're not married and I was like yeah I know I was like it's it's kind of unusual said but it's actually really nice to see and witness and I think that kind of was a huge thing for me to make realise that sometimes certain relationships don't work out and sometimes you're not meant to be with certain people but it doesn't mean that maybe down the line you can't be friends or you can't share some form of life together maybe just not um, I guess a, a relationship in, in the marriage sense or in the boyfriend-girlfriend sense or girlfriend's boyfriends and you know that's okay too it's all part of life and the process of learning and I guess as I got older as well the ways in which my marriage breakdown affected me I guess was because I maybe wished I had more time with my dad and wished I had more time to talk to my dad and to 
I guess build a better relationship with them because that's the way things were going if we were starting to get to know each other I was starting to get really like we were starting to become really good pals that kind of way I was, wasn't afraid of him anymore and I could talk to him and if he said something you know, I could talk, talk, talk I'd never talk back to him no I'd never talk back to my dad oh my god no like dad was the strict one and dad was kind of old school like children should be seen and not heard children should be um, children to speak when spoken to and sometimes I say that to people they go oh my god that's, that's bizarre and I'm like yeah I know I said but also it was manners were just number one when it came to both my parents uh, please and thank you may I please leave the table uh, no elbows on the table don't eat with your mouth full all the usuals um, and that's just the way I was brought up and I just for me I, I guess I thought that was normal but some people kind of often question like was it not really strict but like I said while it was really strict with dad it wasn't strict at all with mum so we again had the balance of both and to me I I actually kind of I'm grateful now that I had that with both parents and I was able to draw on both of those and I think and I feel that I can learn and grow and bring in both of those kind of personalities into my life by being kind of mannerly not being too strict but being strict in some ways and also enjoying life as well and having fun and it's only I guess in when I went to therapy that I realized how much my parents breakdown affected me and the reason it probably affected me so much was because I just mentioned there a while ago I didn't get the chance to properly talk to my dad about everything that I was feeling. What I haven't told you yet and what we haven't gotten to is, I guess, the moments that completely changed and shaped my entire life. So mum, Marcus and I moved to Spittle in 95 and then we were in Ardrahan by 99-2000. As I mentioned, Marcus was in boarding school in Ballinasloe, which is not too far away from Ardrahan. And uh, he used to come home every weekend and he loved it there. He absolutely adored it. I mean, I think it was like the making for him. Um, Definitely Marcus struggled more with our parents' breakup when we were children. As I mentioned, it, it didn't seem to affect me as much at the time. But it very much so seemed to affect Marcus and he's quite headstrong and he was kind of getting into trouble at school. And uh, Garbley just really, I think, solidified him and gave him a place to be a boy, but also grow into a man. And he loved, I think, the discipline that came with boarding school and the routine. It definitely really suited him. And it's in Garbley that he realised he wanted to become a vet. Um, my granddad was a very well-known vet in the Galway area. So I guess it was in the blood, to be honest. Always thought I was going to be the vet. I mean, I was the animal lover here. Um, Marcus was the one with the fear of horses. And I was destined to be the vet. And then I remember one time my uncle well actually every time the vet came onto the farm my uncle would call me out and I'd go down and I was always on the farm with my uncle like I was on that tractor every time it left because by the time we moved to Ardrahan we were there on the farm so I got to go out farming all the time and I loved it I loved like I would have spent hours out in the farm in any weather it didn't bother me at all Um, but then I remember seeing my first caesarean on a cow and I came back in and I'd say I was another shade of green and I said yeah, I don't want to be a vet. Oh yeah, I don't want to be a vet. I think I'll, I'll, can I be the one that looks after them? So then the family like, maybe you want to be a vet nurse instead. So I was like, yeah, maybe. I was like, I don't want to be a vet. <laughs> so that was my vet dream gone. Um, And also probably then the fact that I was never going to put my head down and I, while I might have liked studying, did well in school, the idea of like 600 points just didn't really appeal to me because I realised to get 600 points, you have to be really dedicated and very much so studying all the time. 
and that just wasn't really my personality. Um, so anyways, as I mentioned, Marcus did transition here in Garbley and he tried loads of different avenues. He really thought he wanted to actually work in law. Um, so he went in, I think, with like a solicitor or something for work experience and then realised that wasn't for him. And then he tried something else, I think, in the corporate world. I think in his head he thought he wanted to be suited every day and, you know, in that kind of corporate lifestyle. And then he tried out a few different roles and he was like to mom, he's like, no, nothing's, nothing's sticking. And I think he was starting to panic, even though you should never panic that young. But I guess at that age and, you know, going to work experience, you might, might think that you'll find the inspiration. And then kind of after a while, he just said, you know what, I'm going to go with the vet. He was like, I have no interest really in veterinary or anything, but I'm just going to do it just to do it. And then I can put that off the list. And I think his first day he went out with the vet and he, I think they TB tested like something like 300 cattle. And he got home like late that night to Garbley because obviously when you're, working in that field there's no such thing as nine to five like this is late night stuff and he, he must have got straight to the phone he rang mam and he was like I love it that's it I want to be a vet so that was it his sights were set in veterinary and he started to really look into it and realised he obviously could do it up in Dublin but then places in Dublin are, are obviously a little bit more harder to get into and it's a bit more limited so he actually went and applied to Budapest where I know quite a lot of people have, who've done veterinary over there I think they've dentistry as well so he applied for that and was like, right, at least I'll have that as well. And he's like, I'm happy enough to go abroad. I just want to be a vet. And he actually stayed, I think, working with that vet even after um, transition year. I think he stayed on with him because he just loved it so much. So it was great to see that happen. And then I was kind of delighted then because I was like, finally, we got the vet and family and <laughs> the pressure was finally off me after all my talk of becoming a vet. So anyways, um, as I mentioned he was in Garbley and then I went to Seaman College in Canberra. That was my first secondary school and um, I was playing hockey and camogie and athletics and things were going really well with horse riding too and I was starting to really get better and better and dad was noticing that as well and he was getting, I think he was starting to realise that I could actually ride horses and then we had this lovely black stallion we got called King Cotton Gold and we had loads of plans for him and I was going to show jump and so was dad and then dad's like, look, I'll, I'll um, keep him going during the week when you're at school and at the weekend you can ride out because again, education was still quite you know, it was very much so number one at home and then sport would always come second. I think in my head, sport came first <laughs> and school came second. In fact, I think hanging out with my friends probably came before that. So school kind of always came down and I was always the one that did every extracurricular activity in school, public speaking, debating. I mean, if there was a ribbon being cut, I, I was there and then to get out of class uh, just because I, I guess I love being involved in all those things. But as I said, I think it's all shaped me very much so become part of what I want to do in my career. And I guess it was in secondary school, probably before secondary school, that I realised I wanted to work in media. I used to read at mass when I was a server because when you, in Ardrahan, everyone kind of serves at mass and or most people do and I did. And uh, I started reading at mass when I was 11 and I realised standing in front of a crowd that, you know, I really enjoyed that. So public speaking was definitely always something that came into it for my education. And as I said, mentioned my career as well. Um, But anyways, things were going well. Um, Dad was back living in Galway. He was training to be an auctioneer and um, mum was finishing up her studies in NUIG doing really well Marcus was loving school and he was playing rugby as well and he was uh, playing hurling in Ardrahan and rugby up in Gort and rugby for Garbley and senior cup and you name it and his studies as well he was doing really well and then we came into our mocks I was in junior search and he was in leaving search and he very much so at the weekends my weekend was Marcus's weekend so whatever he did I had to do when he studied I had to study when he had a break I could have a break if he watched television I could watch television if he wanted to go out and throw a ball around I could go out and throw a ball around but if he wanted to study I couldn't watch television like he'd catch me sometimes like turn off the TV we're studying and I'm like oh my god I'm in junior search it doesn't matter and he was like no you set the foundation now this is where you get you know you start it all so I guess <clears throat> 
from young like he was putting kind of that into in, he was he was putting routine into my life because I suppose he was so used to routine from Garbley. Um whereas I suppose even though I was I guess I was in a routine in school but not as stringent as his so he was very much so implementing that at home. And I have to say once mom and dad broke up Marcus very much so became the man of the house and very much so father figure to me as well as being my brother he was my father as well so very protective and always looking out for me but also quite strict to me as well so it was good I, I suppose I needed that in my life and um, things then changed um, completely on Friday it was the 4th of March and I'd finished my junior cert mocks that day. Marcus had finished his in Garbley a few days earlier and had come home to spend some time with Granny and with the, the aunties and uncles and with the cousins and with Mam and with Dad. And then he was making plans for the weekend with all his friends because he was um, had turned 18 on Valentine's Day before that. So he was uh, able to go out now and go out in town and everything. We call town Galway City, by the way. And um, that evening he went off to rugby training in Gort and I went off horse riding with Dad and just a regular Friday night for us and we both had weekend plans he was going out in town and I was going to go hang out with my friends and that's kind of just the way it was um, but things changed that night and there was a crash and we went into hospital and then in the early hours of the 5th of March we were told Marcus didn't make it and I remember that moment so well just standing there in the hospital being told and just thinking this isn't really happening. This isn't really true. Surely there's a mistake. I mean, it's Marcus. He is the strongest person I know. He is also on the road to becoming a vet. He's really sporty. He's really fit. He's really healthy. How could he be dead? It just made no sense. And then after that, then everything just changed for us completely. Because I guess cause suddenly I felt I had to be the parent. So I had to step up to his role because... Mam was just absolutely devastated and I just think a mother's grief is just the worst. I, I I never try to compare my grief to my mother's grief because I think a mother losing a son or a daughter is just unbearable. Um, And then I had my dad who was so angry and so bitter at life because his son got taken in <clears throat> one foul swoop. Um, My dad would have had a lot of health issues all my life as far back as I can remember. Um, he had a kidney transplant when he was 21 and from then on it was just hospitals and doctors and medication and all, all that and I guess dad was like the cat with nine lives because he had been in and out of hospital so many times and like I remember one time being brought in to say goodbye to him we were really small kids because he was getting a triple R bypass and he may not make it through but he always did make it through and he always came out no matter how sick and how bad he was he always came out and he always came out to events and he would never miss anything no matter how bad he was in hospital he always came out for stuff so I think he felt really bitter and angry that why this happened to Marcus Marcus it was you know he got that accident and that was it so then I guess the dark cloud of grief fell over our homes and I got, sometimes I reflect on those years and I think maybe for me at 15 years of age I bottled my grief straight away I couldn't express my grief or my pain or my sorrow I guess one reason was I didn't really know how to and I guess the other reason was because I was looking after my parents and they were in such a bad way that I realised I hadn't well I felt I couldn't express my grief so I bottled it all up so sometimes I reflect back on that time while it was the worst thing that ever happened to me it was only probably in my early 20s that it really struck me so it's probably about 7 or 8 years later so sometimes I look back on my life and I think my early 20s were actually my darkest 
because during that time I had such support I guess from friends and family I also had school I had a junior cert then to complete a few weeks later so that was a distraction I then had that summer after junior cert which was always kind of you know exciting and then I moved schools because I needed a distraction so I moved to Gort Community School and I knew that would would help me kind of escape the grief and it did and then I went on and did my leaving cert and again that was another distraction and um, so all these things kind of were distracting me from what was going on and I tried to stay involved in as much sport as possible and kind of I guess stay out of my home house as much as possible just because it was it was a very dark place to be in and it just you could just tell it was a sad house um, but that wasn't going to be the end of it for me because after Marcus died I think you know I looked at both my parents and they were both absolutely just heartbroken and one thing I've learned about grief is grief affects you physically as well as mentally and um, we all got colds and flus and run down and sick and it's just part of the process because I suppose in some ways you're not really looking after yourself and your your body's gone through, you've gone through a state of shock you've gone through all these emotions and I suppose I was bottling all my grief so it was manifesting in other ways um, but I guess the thing is my mum and I were healthy I was a healthy young girl mum was a healthy woman so we were able to pull through my dad on the other hand wasn't so much a healthy man so it definitely took its toll on him physically and he went off to South Africa after a couple of months after Marcus died I remember thinking his, he went off for kind of a few weeks very much so last minute and he didn't come back for a few months and my birthday was coming up and I thought oh he'll be home now for my birthday he didn't come home he came home then I think like mid-November and I remember he came in and it was November 2005 and he called up to my house and he just didn't look the same and I knew I was like this something's not right and we spent a lot of that Christmas together and then January he was going into hospital and he said I'm getting a procedure done so I was like okay fine and then he went in, in January and to be honest he never really came back out of hospital and then it was coming up to March and it was Marcus's first anniversary and I thought right dad's never going to miss this he's not going to miss Marcus's first anniversary like this is a huge day so I never forgot one of my aunties was saying a prayer of the faithful for dad and we wrote two versions for her she had two versions one version was we want to pray for Marcus's dad Maxie who's here with us from hospital or else we want to pray for Marcus's dad Maxie who's in hospital so I said to her I said as soon as you go up there even if you're on the altar look take one last look I was like dad could turn up like he could just literally come in the door and then mass came and mass went and obviously it was a huge sad time for all of us for the whole community and all the family and uh, dad never turned up and I think that day I realised okay this is a lot more serious than I thought and then I guess I had to get on with life and um, that summer then dad did come out of hospital a few times and I got to spend some really special moments with him one of them being a trip up to Dublin on the train and he was like we're getting the train because I, I love the train to Dublin we were sitting in the breakfast cart and we're getting breakfast on the train so we did that and he was really ill at the time and uh, looking back it, it was I, I know now why he brought me on that journey because I suppose in some ways he knew it was our final probably journey together Um, I sometimes look back and think I wish I had someone with me to help me with him because he was so um, vulnerable and he was so weak and I remember being afraid that something would happen to him and when we got up there then we got on the Lewis and it was the first time my first time and his first time in the Lewis was a bit of a novelty and then we stopped off at Jervis Street which is now Jervis Street Shopping Centre and he brought me in for a look and he was like come on we'll go shopping and I was like my head going dad we can't go shopping like we need to bring you to a hospital appointment he's like no we've time we've time and I was like I know but I was like looking at him being like this man is so weak and um while we are in Jervis Street, the reason I think he brought me in there is because that, back in the day, was a hospital. And that was the hospital that he got his kidney transplant when he was 21 years old. So I remember looking around and being like, oh my God, wow, Like this is like a piece of history in here. And now it's a shopping centre. And um, 
I'll never forget we went into Penny's at the time and he was like do you want to get something and there was these pair of like kitten heels because they were so popular and I found I saw them and they weren't my size and oh, I have to say that day it was like everyone like I mentioned I wish I had someone with me that day I actually ended up having a lot of people with me that day and they were so helpful and so nice when dad got off the Lewis his hat blew off Um, he had um, a lot of skin cancer at the time and he did a surgery a procedure on his skull so he had that wrapped up in tape and he used to wear this um hat it was like a kind of like a Stetson, cow, Stetson cowboy hat and he always wore that and he wore that even before he was sick it was always like his hat and as we're crossing the Lewis line it blew off and one woman ran down and got the hat from because clearly you could see he wasn't well and then um got into pennies and the security guard saw him and offered him a seat and then a woman came over who worked there and it was like you okay and then my dad's like she's actually looking for these shoes in this size and she goes leave it with me and she went off and she found the shoes and I tried them on they fit and dad handed her the cash and she went left us there and she went up to the till and she did the transaction and she came back down with us for our change and I remember that, that day thinking this you know this usually doesn't happen but to be in such a big shop and to be getting so much care like that and it was it was just from start to finish it was very special we got him to his appointment and we got him home and we got him back into hospital and I guess I always held on to the hope that he'd pull through because he always he always did through all those sicknesses throughout our life and um I kind of thought he'll be able for this one he'll get through it um but he didn't and he got weaker and on the 12th of March 2006 my dad also died I was with him and I was lucky enough to be with him and hold his hand when he took his last breath and um, I often look back to that moment and think I'm glad I was with him and I'm glad that he had me there that he had my voice and that I was able to hand him over to Marcus and that's really what I felt like I was doing that day I felt like I was handing him over and letting him be with Marcus and let him be free and uh, you've probably noticed that I was talking about Marcus and I wasn't really getting too upset and here I am talking about dad and I'm finding it all very emotional and I guess the greatest lessons I was ever going to learn about grief and loss were going to happen to me years later after losing Marcus and dad in the space of a year and a half and having to deal with all this pain I stayed bottling it but mum used to bring me to people to talk to but I all often felt like I wasn't ready to talk or I didn't know how to and at the time what I did was I wrote in diaries and diaries were my godsend people say journaling now it's a word people use but for me it's writing diaries and it always was and I've been writing diaries since way before Marcus and dad even left this world um, but I guess it was after Marcus died that I started writing deeper and darker and really to be honest it was, it was the main place that I could express my grief my loss and I would say to anyone who's struggling with anything to try get a pen and paper out and just see where it takes you because sometimes it can help you like, there's times that I get a pen and paper out and I don't even know what I want to write and I just start writing and then suddenly I write pages and pages and when I read back over so I'm like oh I didn't even realize that was bothering me or I didn't even realize that was in my head and it just comes out and it's really therapeutic but it really helps you maybe understand what's inside your head and helps you to release it so as I said I continued all my diary writing and uh, I went on then and did my leaving search and I was determined to go to University of Limerick because I wanted at this stage I knew I wanted to work in media I wanted to be a TV or radio presenter and that's what I wanted to do and I loved the Irish language for my time in Spiddle so I wanted to study in UL first of all and then I remember looking at the the syllabus or going through the the courses to see what was there and lo and behold there was an arts degree called Unhailgogs the Manor Irish and New Media and it was like something like achieved by like 350 to 400 points so I was like grand don't have to overly push myself can just do enough 
get the get like a few B's and C's and I should be fine. And that's the way I looked at it because I guess I realised from quite a young age, especially after losing Marcus, that life was short and life was precious and it was very important for me to, yes, study and get an education, but it was also very important to me to enjoy myself in my life because I had in some ways my innocence of my that those teenage years were taken away from me like but the time before Marcus died I remember I was still going to discos with the girls and having the crack and you know those usual hormonal teenage things going on and that kind of I guess passage of life where you're learning and exploring and just kind of going through all life and everything's so dramatic um but that all changed for me after Marcus and suddenly I just was I can't say I was mature but I guess I'd been given something that you don't really expect to be given in those young years but again as I said it, it all kind of I guess has shaped me into who I am today um, I went on got the course in UL moved down spent four amazing years in UL and I often look back to those years and I think that maybe I often refer to Marcus and dad and remember at the start I said I call him my guardian angels to help me and that's what I did it's, it's Marcus and dad I call on and those four years I think they gave me a break and said right we're going to let you have some fun here and just enjoy yourself and I did I loved it I had a great time I had such crack it was brilliant from start to finish I got to go on Erasmus in Malta I got to study um, as I do a work experience with Conor Nogale in Galway for six months and then I got to spend three years then in Limerick in UL living in Castle Troy on and off campus it was great crack and uh, then I decided after the four years were up I wasn't ready to give up the college lifestyle and that I wanted to maybe study media further because in Malta I got to go to um, loads of reporting classes and we had like the editor of the Malta Times and he was just amazing I think he made me realise I really wanted to study journalism so I looked up and I asked some people and they said NUI Galway has a journalism course so that's where I went and I started the Masters then in 2011 and that's where things absolutely crumbled everything just completely fell apart and I guess it started towards the end of UL I definitely started to notice a bit of a change in my personality or in my mood which wasn't like I was always in great form I was always happy-go-lucky always loved being around people life and soul the party type and just really enjoyed everything and never took anything too seriously because maybe because I realized home was so serious and what happened to me was so serious so I could kind of be free but as I said things started to change and then I went on a J1, which, you know, everyone goes on a J1. So I went to Boston and just over there, I, I, I hated it. I pretty much, I just couldn't, I don't know what, it was like something completely changed. It's like I landed on that time zone and all, everything just crumbled. I found that being ho- away from home, I was never homesick before, but I was so homesick. I missed just home. I started falling out with everyone I lived with. I just found it all really difficult. And I was like, oh, what is going on? This isn't this isn't me like what's going on I started vomiting every single day like physically getting sick every day and I thought again what is wrong with my stomach and it was like everything I ate and everything I drank just came right back up again and I was like correct I, I need to I realised after a while that it was I was the problem because I said I was falling out with people which wasn't like me so I thought right I'm ruining everyone's J1 now so I was like I'm just that's it I'm getting out of here I'm, I'm removing myself from this situation because at least they can all salvage their J1 and have a few good weeks where I'm not there and um, I went home I came home and I thought great I'll be fine now but the vomiting continued and I thought oh this is is a bit strange so I was trying different diets to see was it something dietary and then in September I moved into Galway and started my master so I thought great this is brilliant now great distraction but like things just got worse and I felt like I was losing my mind I couldn't sleep I was erratic I was falling out my really good friends I just couldn't focus I couldn't concentrate I go to bed at night and I couldn't sleep and then the next day I couldn't get out of bed 
and I started going out nights out and instead of being the fun party going on the dance floor you know dance until my feet are sore kind of person I was going out and drinking until I blacked out because I think I just felt so horrible and it was just a scary time as well and then one day I woke up and I was crying so much and I got myself down to the kitchen and I lay on the floor and I was on the cold tiles and my chest was so heavy and the pain was so much that I just couldn't physically I actually physically could not pull myself off the ground and then there and then I realized I was in trouble and I had to make a phone call and I did not want to make this phone call I've been putting it off for so so long but I had to do it and that was to call my mother and I called her and she happened to be around the corner she was in town at my auntie and they came and they put she pulled me off the floor and she sat me down and I was like I'm having a breakdown I'm having a breakdown and mum was like no you're not this is a breakthrough you're having a breakthrough she was like you're grieving and I was like I'm not I'm losing my mind ma'am I'm losing my mind I was like I need to go somewhere I, I don't know I need to be like sent away somewhere she was like no you're grieving she goes this is grief and I was like it couldn't be I said because Marcus had died in 2005 and dad in 2006 and this was 2011 2012 and I just assumed grief I remember reading in a book once that grief only lasts five years and I was like but I'm past the five years I've passed the point so I'm I shouldn't be grieving and mum was like no what are you on about this no so then I was like what and then I think maybe that realization that maybe it is grief was kind of a start of something new for me so it was a breakthrough because suddenly I was breaking through and I had to release all this bottled up grief and oh my god I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and so much so my my cheeks were red and puffy my eyes were stinging but the tears kept falling because there was grief that was trapped for so many years that had to come out and I went to counselling and I went to therapy and I talked and talked and talked and I found actually when I came to therapy that I did best with men male therapists because I guess I lost my brother and my father so I needed that male figure and I feel like when I had a male counsellor I could open up more and I could relate to them and I could I guess in some ways see a father figure so that was hugely beneficial to me as well and that definitely was was something that that helped me and you know I went on then and I said right I have to get this master's I thought I was going to fail it initially um, because at that time when things were really bad I thought that's it I'll, I'll throw away the master's the media career forget about it you're probably going to move home and just live at home not even be able to get a job because I genuinely didn't felt like I didn't have the mental capacity to do anything that all I was going to be able to do was sit at home all day long in my home house and never get my sparkle back and never it's like all my dreams and all my plans and all my my like drive for life had diminished and I genuinely thought I wouldn't get it back and that's how I felt I couldn't see the belief was gone I couldn't see any future I couldn't see the light I could just see this dullness and this emptiness and I guess things were so dull and so empty that I went to my GP because it wasn't normal to feel this way and the decision was made that I'd go on antidepressants I remember the time thinking I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be on them but you know what looking back now I needed to be on them because I was so low and so dull and everything was so dark that I needed something just to give me a little bit of a break I needed time off because I was up and I was down I was high I was low I was happy I was sad but it was just so erratic that it was just too much and I just needed a break and they gave me that break and I stayed on there for quite a number of months until eventually I started to kind of realize okay now I think I'm ready to start making the steps to get the proper help and I weaned myself off them and I spoke to my GP and we made a plan and we put a plan in place and I and I got myself off them then and it was tough it was really tough I won't say it was it was easy a few times I thought maybe I should go back on them 
Um, um, but I stayed going to therapy and I stayed getting help and I stayed writing and I stayed reading and I stayed talking and it really did help. And I opened up to all my close friends as well because I needed them to know. And, you know, they were so understanding and they were all there for me and they were so supportive and they knew that whatever I had to do, I had to do. And then I... um. I, I kind of thought, oh, I'm fine now after a couple of years. It's like, great, I'm fine. So then I moved to London. I got this great opportunity at MTV. But over in London, I realised I was still really lonely and I was still really sad and I was still really empty. And something still wasn't right. So I started reading and writing over there quite a lot. And I spent an awful lot of time on my own. Not by choice, it's just because there wasn't really people to hang out with at the weekends. In the UK, everyone goes to the countryside for the weekend. So I kind of felt really lonely at the weekends. And I thought, well, you just have to be on your own. There's nothing to do here. So do something though. Even if you're on your own, do something on your own. So I started going to the park because the weather was quite nice over in London all the time. And I found when I was sitting in the park, there's loads of dogs. So I'd sit for hours and I'd read and dogs would come over and I'd pet some puppies and it was just, it was lovely. And then I got really into reading and then I was, every time I was on the tube, I'd read. And then I started to really enjoy being on my own and I'd start writing more. And then I started like getting the tube on Saturdays and Sundays to like places I maybe hadn't been before and exploring London and going for coffee and going for food. And I actually just start to really enjoy it I was like this is really nice and that was something that I guess one of the greatest lessons I got out of London while working for MTV was absolutely incredible and the CV really is very grateful for that time and I got to do some absolutely incredible things and meet some incredible people and interview some amazing people I also got to discover who I was in my own company and I loved it but I came home and I realised that a lot of the fears and the pains and the anxiety that I had left behind to move to London were still there and I went up to Dublin and tried to get a job and a rejection 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 and I felt so depleted and so deflated and I just took up an unpaid internship living in Dublin and it was ridiculous mam had to pay my way and my bills and everything and I just realised I just I'm so unhappy Um, I'm making no money I can't get into like a start in my career at all even though I'd worked in MTV I couldn't seem to get a kickstart in Ireland and I just started to kind of get really down again and really low. And I remember this feeling because I'd been here before. So I packed my bags and I took myself back home and I moved in with my mother. But this time I knew it was only going to be temporarily. And I and mum said to me, she said, look, take the time. You need to do all work on yourself now. You need to put yourself first. And take as long as you need. But then she said, then you can start looking for something. So um, things kind of got so, I guess, dark for me that I um, um ended up in going to Pieta House in Tume and incredible services, incredible people and incredible place and I had the most amazing counsellor and he was just so wonderful and I'm like smiling now even thinking about him and um, I would leave those sessions and I would be like they were so tough like we unrooted a lot and what I really realised in those sessions was that in actual fact while the death of my brother and the death of my father are absolutely awful I think I realised straight away that my brother went to heaven straight away and that Marcus's life was only meant to be 18 years and 18 days and that's what it was and I think I always had this greater understanding that as tragic as Marcus's death was he was only meant to be here for that short amount of time he was only meant to be here for a little while to kind of teach us all a lesson and I'm grateful for that lesson because it's made me the person I am today he's made me a stronger person and he's made me a more grateful person my father's death which probably was expected because he'd been ill so long and because I was with him when he died and was there for the end actually affected me way more because what I realised when I went into counselling when I spoke to those counsellors about my grief and my loss I was actually grieving for my dad that I lost when I was a child the time my parents separated was actually causing me greater pain 
in my adult life than the death because when my dad died I never got a chance to talk to him and to say to him maybe all the things that I felt and share with him my thoughts and feelings and I feel like I was getting to the place where I was able to talk to him more but then he was di- he died and he was gone and I just felt like I never got to get to that place and it kind of shocked me and astounded me how much the separation affected me because I thought it didn't but it actually did and now it's brought on a greater understanding of my life and now I'm able to work through things and now I'm able to understand maybe we're certain like not every day is a great day for me most days are great there's certain days I don't want to get out of bed and I just want to have a a lazy day or a me day and you know what sometimes I listen to my body and I listen to my head and I listen to my heart and I follow what's right like recording this podcast I just got this gut feeling that I had to do it and then suddenly the day was right and I sat down and I here I am in my bed with my hot water bottle and my incense burning and I'm talking to you and I'm sharing my story so I guess to wrap this all up my parents separation said really did affect me and then I've learned now to accept the loss of Marcus the loss of my dad and the loss of their marriage and how I did that was as I mentioned to you talking to the people close to me making a phone call to my mother the hardest phone call I ever made but the best phone call I ever made talking to my friends and my support unit around me letting them know not going through a good time right now taking a bit of time off or even things like taking a break from social media you'll be surprised about people that notice that so I'll give my friends the heads up being like look I'm going to take a bit of a break from social media I'm fine I just need a bit of space and they're so understanding and it's just it's having that support behind you and having the right people around you and being in the right environment it's talking to professionals, it's seeking advice, it's chatting to your GP, it's talking to the people who know and the people who've trained in these areas. There's actually grief counsellors out there that even talk specifically about grief and it's worth looking into and to find the right counsellor for you, someone that you can bond with, someone that you can connect with. As I mentioned, mine had to be a male because I lost my brother and my father. I lost two very important male figures in my life. And it's also about learning to enjoy the simple things in life and not taking things for granted and just taking it each day at a time one day at a time my mind races some days and I'm thinking about the future what's going to be my next job or what am I going to do work wise and what if I don't get that job or what if I don't get that that call up and I can't look too much in the future I have to just look at the here and now and take it step by step and day by day and know that I've put in the hard work I've worked for years to be in this industry so that I know that the, the the right thing will come for me when the time is right. And as well, I have my books and I have my writing and I'll have my writing forever and I can stay writing. And I've written two books. My first book is Broken Love, My Journey Through Loss and Grief, which is pretty much everything I've just told you, but it goes a lot deeper and shares the diaries that that 15-year-old girl wrote. And it shares the darkest days in every single detail. But it also is a story of hope. It's a story of resilience. It's a story of empathy. It's a story of growth. It's a story of finding faith. It's a story of discovering love, love for myself and love for those around me. And I guess adventure. And then my second book is Little Pocket of Love, which is a book of quotes. And it's a book about, it's a book for you that you can pick up and read whenever you want. It's just small little snippets and it fits into a bag or a pocket. And it's very discreet. And it's so many different themes in there that can help you in whatever way that you want. So I guess when I think about that girl that lay in those cold cold tiles on the floor with my chest stuck to the ground and having to make that first phone call to my mother when I look back now I know that I was having a breakthrough and while it was so painful for me it was I guess the change and the start of something new for me and I did graduate with a master's 
in journalism and I did go over to MTV and I did move home and I was unemployed for a while and then I did get a job in radio and I'm back living in Limerick for six years now and I now work on television I have my own show on Virgin Media Player I do some work with RT I, I, I have a radio show Classic Hits um, I'm working with the Limerick Post on digital content I'm writing all the time I'm learning and I'm really taking every opportunity I get in my career and in my personal and my professional life as well and now I'm doing things that I want to do for me and you know 2020 really taught me a lot it taught me to slow down it taught me to reflect I got a life coach I did like well-being courses and I started to learn a lot more about myself and who I am and I discovered who am I and who do I want to be and that was a huge thing for me meditation was always kind of in my life for a few years but really since 2020 meditation has become part of my daily routine and that has honestly transformed my life and it's something that I love doing now and you have to build up routine but start small and there's apps you can download for free and honestly meditation has been so so powerful for me because when I meditate sometimes I really relax sometimes it clears my mind sometimes it shows me what's holding me back sometimes it shows me what I need to do it's like following that good feeling about recording this podcast meditation does that for me and it's really powerful and then it's talking to people. So this podcast, the guests I've had on before me, the seven guests I've had on, speaking about their different health and wellness, um, their methods, the ones that they are masters in, their own lives, how they went from corporate world to the wellness world, um, their own journeys. And listening and learning has been huge to me, educating myself, re-educating myself. It's all a learning curve. And as I mentioned to you, not every day is perfect. And I know not every day will be perfect. But I sure as hell will appreciate the good days and I will learn from the down days. And I have to, as I said, I listen to my body, I listen to my mind and I listen to my soul and I listen to my heart. And I do what's right for me and I do what's right for the people around me. And that's what's most important. And that's why we have to make the most of this life we have. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for just taking the time to listen to this story because while I spoke about myself, I always share my own story and speak from the heart because I feel like that's what helped me. It's hearing other people's personal stories and it's being able to relate to other people. So I hope that I've helped you in some way that you relate to my story and that I can help you on your own journey. I can help you maybe find the hope, find the light and find the help that you need because there's someone out there for you that's going to help you. The first person that you need to believe in and you need to trust in is you. Thank you for listening to Megan Meets with me, Megan Scully, in association with Salt Float and Recovery Suites. Get 20% off single therapies at Salt. Enter Meg Meets at the checkout or in store. Check out saltfloatrecovery.com for booking and for more information. And remember, hit subscribe and share the love with friends and family or those who you feel could benefit from the health and wellness topics and methods discussed.